Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson, joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, midweek of Giants week, uh, we were just talking about how uh, this is a New York trip that's going to be weird um, because it's we land there in... Uh, I, I'm going to Newark. I'm not going to New York. I, I actually don't ever have to set foot in uh, New York <laughs> this uh, this trip. But but normally, normally a New York trip, you can... You're trying to go, you know, do something, but it's it's New Year's Eve, so uh, it's a little chaotic. Is I, I've never been there on New Year's Eve, but I assume that all the people who are in Times Square for the ball dropping are in New York the rest of the day too. So, um, and luckily neither of us are flying Southwest, so I think we'll get there. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, we should. You're you're a much more uh, nervous traveler than I am, though. So I'm I'm bit, yeah. completely unconcerned about I'm getting it. Getting in at 11 a.m. That's how I'm I get. completely I'm completely unconcerned about it. Uh, the uh, Colts playing a Giants for, for, from a Colts standpoint, this game just doesn't matter all that much. Um, a win could matter, and that it would drop them in the. Uh, it could matter long term in the fact that they could it could drop them. But I think I saw somewhere that they're locked into a top 10 pick now. Um, so they're somewhat in range for the quarterbacks, no matter what happens on Sunday. Uh, I think I think maybe the biggest thing to discuss on this podcast would be, you know, it, it sounds like Chris Ballard is going to be back. What does that mean? What could that look like going forward? Um, that's that's probably the the best thing we can do here because it the, what happens in these last two games, even even I mean we we keep saying like you look at the younger players, but even these last two games if if a younger player goes off it could be a mirage you know it's not it's not like it's a huge sample size plus they're uh, they could go off in a certain scheme that's kind of irrelevant by next year like there's coaching changes just change the trajectory and the roles for everybody so you certainly hope that you see better signs out of you know you see progress out of Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods and Bernard Ryman but it's matchup dependent too I mean like Zach Moss looked good last week and might look good again this week, but that's because these are some of the worst run defenses in the NFL. So it's mm-hmm. it, the matchup plays into it as well. So I think you watch those guys. I think that's if you're a Colts fan and you're going to watch these games because you're a Colts fan and you're a diehard, that's probably why you're listening to this podcast. Like that's what you should be watching for. But in terms of whether or not that means it's that this player is going to take the next step next season or be a star, that's tougher to say. Yeah, and then there's you know upcoming free agents who are – going to play hard because they've got things to earn for themselves. Guys like Paris Campbell, Bobby Okereke, Yannick Ngakwe. But again, from a Colts perspective, that's hard to read because who knows if they're going to be back or they're just going to earn contracts somewhere else. So um, I expect some of those right. guys even will, and, and even guys under contract, like they could be free agents. You know, it's this is the NFL. Yeah. It's not baseball or, ba- or or basketball. So if you're under contract, they can unless, – unless they don't want to deal with your guaranteed money, you could be gone at any point. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I guess if you're if you're trying to find some reason for intrigue, it's it's really just to kind of see what the fight and the state of this team is at this point. It was not very impressive on Monday night. Um, you know, I felt like something broke in the in this team in Minnesota. Those post game interviews felt like sort of the last gasp this team had left to really care for this season. And outside of what I'm talking about, with this, which is individual guys earning roles for next year, but as far as the collective, the hopes, um, just their their investment in and then they this were, version of them and then they were eliminated mathematically from the playoffs very shortly after that which just 
adds on to it. Like, mm-hmm. then you can no longer say we still have something to play for. It's it's over. Like, uh, as soon as those that mathematical number goes down, even in a even in a locker room where, um, I think the way they look at their chances and possibilities is very different than the way we look at it on the outside. The moment the playoffs are gone, that's it. Yeah, and I felt that completely last week. Again, coming off that Vikings loss, once they recalibrated, and then you know the team announces they're going to Nick Foles, and Matt Ryan's inactive, which very much felt like a move to save you know money for next year in case he were to get hurt. You just see the the too many signs on the wall, and I it's been weeks since I've heard any player back when they were technically in contention. It's been weeks since I've heard a player talk about the possibility of the playoffs that's just not there and I think the most telling side to me was in the game in the uh, in the locker room after the game on Monday I couldn't find any offensive player who seemed surprised by what went down when they scored three points 0 of 10 on third down less than 200 yards not that they're obviously they're not happy with it but past games they felt shell-shocked by you know the preparation they put in why, why this year's not working that's all, all that energy is gone at this point it's just acceptance well it, we, we talked about this on the on the first impressions pod but it's important to say again because Jelani Woods just sort of reiterated it most of them haven't played with Nick Foles since training camp if they even played with him much in training camp because he was this he took the second team snaps he didn't take mm-hmm. the first team snap so Michael Pittman Alec Pierce uh, Alec Pierce took some with him but Michael Pittman Paris Campbell those guys only played with the first team in camp so like this he didn't have time on task he hasn't been in the offense Foles kind of telegraphed it to us last week too you know this this is I haven't really been prepared for this until this this moment um and it's been different for him than a normal backup I mean he's he's been a backup before and come in and played well but this has been different because he's been the two and he's been the three for a while and he's been the two and he's been the three for a while and when you're the three and you're not playing at all your role is much more scout team. Um, hey, you know I, what? You know what? I actually do think there is something we should get to with this team right now before we talk to anything about Ballard. We, we did get an answer from Jeff Saturday on Sam Ellinger, uh, what his evaluation of him is, and I did think it was revealing on Tuesday, um, namely revealing in that he said a lot of things about Ellinger's intangibles. He said almost nothing about him as a quarterback playing football. And I think that that's probably the best window we've gotten into why Sam Ellinger doesn't seem like an option for Jeff Saturday. When Jeff mentioned when he decided to move Sam from the number two to the number three against Dallas, it was because of what they were up against with Micah Parsons and some of the players the Cowboys had. He said he trusted a veteran more and spoke a lot to just Sam to him as he stepped in and he's learning this roster. And I think Sam in his eyes is a second-year player who's – does not have experience and does not have a you know a defined skill set in this league yet, and he's he's a coach that's going to lean on veterans. That's that's clearly what he's doing. And what you mentioned though is is kind of key when you said that um, you got like Nick Foles is not prepared to be in this spot. That's the whole problem with this Colts team is all the important positions on the team have guys not prepared for those spots. So that's head coach Jeff Saturday never coached the NFL. Offense, or offense play caller Parks Frazier never called plays before. Nick Foles was a career backup who's the number three as of a couple weeks ago. And then your left tackles, Bernard Ryman, who's been you know two years into learning this position. So there are guys in this team that are fighting hard and playing 
you know, try and do their part. A lot of them on defense, guys like Paris Campbell, those, uh, you know, those guys were mentioning that obviously Quentin Nelson, I think, has turned it around. But for the most part, the premium positions, and this becomes a story of this whole franchise, the premium leadership positions on the field and, you know, in the coaching staff are just guys who've never done it before. So they're everything to them is getting out there on game day and, and then kind of being smacked by reality. I do think that there's a case to start Sam Ellinger um, beyond what Jeff Saturday thinks. Uh, and I think that the, the case is pretty simple. Nick Foles, Matt Ryan are at the end of their careers, unlikely to be back in Indianapolis next season. Um, especially Foles, I don't think, is very likely to be back here next year. Um, I don't think either one has they would have to do, of a chance to be back that's, next that's, season. Yeah, but I, I think Foles really – because there's been some talk about him possibly being – the bridge guy. I don't necessarily think he wants to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I feel pretty certain he doesn't want to do that. Uh, and so I'd, I think I'd be utterly shocked if Nick Foles think, was on this team next I year. I think both of them. I think the case is, and it's a case I can get behind, is the one guy who's who's got something maybe going forward with this team is Ellinger. And so maybe you play him to get him experience because you you are not playing for anything. You didn't play well with Foles on Monday night. You're not playing for anything. That might as well give it give the snaps to a young guy who may end up being on your roster next year as opposed to people who aren't. Yep. I definitely get that argument. The I guess the devil's advocate would be Jeff Saturday is trying to earn the job. So he if he believes that Nick Foles gives him the best chance, he's gonna do that. Now you could disagree with that based on what we saw on Monday night and I don't again I ultimately as we've discussed I don't know that either one of them playing quarterback changes much about their chances of winning right now but that's going to be Jeff Saturday's approach and and Parks Frazier is trying to you know trying to find his next stop wherever that is try to look competent as a play caller this is all the stuff that goes into consideration is that like yeah Chris Ballard is back and he's only looking to next year playing Sam makes more sense but that he's not the guy it sounds like who's in charge of that decision. And, you know, I, I think Jeff's answer the other day was revealing that he thinks Sam is working hard, has good intangibles. The way he but described him wasn't a guy that he thought could go out there and lead an offense right now. Um, I think, I think for Saturday more than anybody, it's, it's trying to, to make his case for this job because Parks Frazier is going to be fine. I mean, like he's, he's a guy who is at one stage of his, of his career, uh, working his way up and got thrown into this play calling role he knows too many guys from the staff to not like get a job somewhere now is he going to get a job calling plays no but he wasn't supposed to like he's not supposed to be, be at that point in his career for another five to ten years parks fraser was paying his due so i think parks fraser's fine he's just learning on the fly here this is just a, an experience thing for him um and that highlights how different those two perspectives are is that parks fraser is a pure football coach who's on the rise and this was a step in the ladder and it, it, it changed a little bit, but he'll just keep going on the ladder. Jeff Saturday never really yeah, jumped Parks on Frazier the ladder. Parks Frazer end up going back to like a quarterback's coach or, you know, a step back in, in terms of responsibility, but probably the proper step for where he was in his coaching career. Yeah. And for Jeff, if he doesn't get this job as a head coach, I don't sense that he's a guy that's going to look around and say, okay, well, what team needs an offensive line coach? Let me like continue. That's just not been his trajectory. He was offered that job here in Indianapolis, didn't want to start on that ladder. So he kind of got an opportunity. It came in a weird way to be an interim coach. He's by all accounts, he says he enjoys it. He likes leading these guys by all accounts. He'd like to keep that job. 
I don't know that the conversation's the same though. If they if they move on to somebody else, that he's he's just looking to go be a coach for the next thirty years. Uh, we don't know that yet, but I I feel like that's what's different between him and Parks is going to be fine for what he's already planning to do. If Jeff is just here to try and earn a head coaching job with the Colts, it's a very different. You know, these games matter a lot for him to try and have a chance at that. It is remarkable to me. I think that. Um, there, there's a, not just Jim Mercer saying that Jeff Saturday's an outstanding candidate, but there's a significant segment of the fan base who gets pretty upset if you um, mention Saturday's lack of experience, the way he's coached so far. Um, but to me, he's one in five. I, I don't, and the offense has not been, the offense has not been better. The offense is, is just as bad as it was before. Um, in fact, some of the instability, some of the stuff that we've we've seen from, like, the the changes we we heard stuff in the locker room that we haven't heard before, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of in terms of the frustration from players kind of boiling over a little bit and saying, "Hey, we kind of knew this wasn't going to work." Um, like, there's there's signs coming out of it that it's been it's been bad beyond just the one in five record, and then on top of it, you have the one in five record outscored ninety to nine in the fourth quarter. I, I just. I don't see the case. The case for Saturday coming back is that Jim Irsay likes him and thinks he's a good candidate. That's it. I don't see a a logical outside case based on what we've seen so far. And I don't know if you could change my mind on that based on what happens in these last two games. Yeah, that 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 sums up pretty well because the case for bringing him in at the time and why people got on board is this idea that they needed a spark and that this former player, you know, younger former player who who's won here and knew really knew this franchise well, would connect with the players and get something going this season. And for one game it looked like, you know, they had a chance to do that. They came out and they beat the Raiders and they were, you know, close against the Eagles. And you can see a world where this this trends a little bit better than it has. But the fact that they're not winning five straight losses and the fact that the just the way they're losing, whether it's blowouts where the offense isn't isn't moving the ball or it's you know a collapse like you had in minnesota it doesn't form a good case for a coach who this experiences his entire career so um i think fans are the ones who are defensive i just i sense it's more you know jeff's a likable guy certainly we see that um fans connect with him because they also watched him play and he was a you know, a, a tremendous player in the glory years of this franchise. So I understand it almost just feels like they're sort of protecting one of their own. And so even when he, you know, has questionable decisions and the results aren't there, it's almost sort of, it's easy to kind of just fall back on um, some of some excuses of, you know, he wasn't in a great situation. And, you know, the idea that, that maybe Frank Reich kind of had this buried from the start um, or the, or a lot of it, what I hear is people who are out in Chris Ballard and just saying, you know, that Jeff didn't really have a chance based on the roster he took over, which is an argument you can make. But the issue is that these six games so far, that's the only games he's coached above the high school level. So that's all we can judge is what he has done here and what he's and done we were, here. And is, we were told he was being okay. brought in to change the trajectory. Yeah. And instead instead of changing – instead of the changing the, – I mean, the trajectory did change. It went from uh, gradual down to straight off of a cliff down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It got steeper. The fall got steeper. By all accounts, Jeff's been able to choose his quarterback each week, and he's one in five in that span. Uh, the last coach, when he was allowed to choose his quarterback, was three, three, and one. So the trajectory has changed in 
a nosedive way. If this was a different sort of situation where he came in and they clearly were in sort of a tank mode and there wasn't this there wasn't this talk about sparking it. He was just sort of the guy to to be the interim right now. And it's you know and they were starting Sam Ellinger the whole time and they were already putting guys on IR Jonathan Taylor before he got re-injured. I think you could have a little bit more of a of a conversation about well Jeff really didn't have any chance to do anything here other than what's happened but he did take over a team that was talented that was three three and one when they were starting veteran quarterbacks like they didn't look good in that span but they weren't I don't think the argument for Jeff can be just that this team was so utterly hopeless and given no chance because they were very much trying to win and their owner said we're bringing him in here to try and win and turn this around and win the AFC South remember the very first thing Jim Mercy said when they started that presser is, I'm really glad to be here tonight, which was this idea of this is the spark, this is something we need. And he wanted to take a bold action to get this turned around. It just hasn't gone that way. Well, and on Monday night, he said, on, on the Monday, on the thing ESPN aired Monday night, he said, um, you know, he said that he wouldn't have made the move with Reich if Saturday wasn't available. You, if that's true, then you think something good is going to happen, not something bad. Uh, yep. to, to the Ballard piece I think this is where we'll probably spend the rest of the podcast it sounds to me like Chris Ballard is back it's or it's I shouldn't say it like he's 100% back I, I, I'm leaning toward him being back just based on how many times Jim Mercer has said it uh, I think the caveats there are number one what if it's a head coach who doesn't want him you know, if you're going after somebody like a Harbaugh or uh, a Peyton, and they say they want, and you have a chance at them, and they say they want a different GM, I don't think you're going to switch off of your head coach. Um, I don't think you're going to say no to them because to to go for those guys, you're already way down the road. Yeah. You've already made some big decisions. Um, I think that's that's one way he's not back. I think the other way he's not back is if Ballard wants to be out. Um, and finds a way out. Uh, I don't know what that is. He's under contract, um, but but that's 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 the two scenarios. I think. I think, based on what Ursay continues to say over and over and over again, he believes that Ballard should be back. Yeah, I think that's my read on it too. Is as of right now, their anticipation or Ursay's anticipation is to have him back. I do think there's a conversation that's going to likely take place, or at least needs to take place after the year that could get into that second point you brought up which uh, about whether Ballard wants to be back which is if if you're Chris Ballard and, and you are in the spot where you're like hey your job's safe you're gonna go out these are huge decisions coming up to hire a head coach and draft a quarterback in the top 10 do you feel like that's your decision is are those positions under your control because right. this season's brought more than a few questions about both of those the, the decision to go from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger the decision to fire Frank Reich and bring in an outside voice Jeff Saturday who's a friend of Jim Mercer's they haven't looked like Chris Ballard decisions the it just hasn't it just hasn't felt like he's been in control no, Ursa, Ursa's been in control of it yeah and so is that just a well he's the no season longer, was lost Ursa is no longer letting the GM Set the, yeah. set the tone. So does he does he let him go back to it though? Was this just a well we hired Jim or say or we hired Jeff Saturday as the interim, but you're going to hire the next one, or is it? Because if you don't have that, I if you're Chris Ballard, I don't know why I don't know why you'd want to stay here. And again, yes, you're right. It's it's not as easy as just walking away when you're under contract. Right, he's under contract through 2026. But as far which, as, I'm sure a lot of money, you know. But but again, what's going to be key is finding that chemistry between him and the new hire. And if you're going to have a situation though where you keep Chris Ballard and bring in a coach that he's not choosing, 
arranged marriages rarely work in the NFL. They haven't worked here in Indianapolis. And I, I just don't think that's a way to get this back on track. That And, and I feel like if you're Chris Ballard, you kind of know if, if that's the situation, you, you kind of have a feeling going in that this is only going to end poorly. So why uh, stick on around? On the flip side of this, the, the thing I do believe, uh, if, if Ballard does stay, I think he has to be allowed to hire the head coach and he has to be a good fit with him because I think – if you're going to hire a head coach and give him an actual shot here, uh, Ballard has to be around for the length of that coach. Yep. For what you just because of what you just said, arranged marriages don't work, especially GM and coach marriages. Sometimes, sometimes, GM coach marriages that start out okay end up going badly. Let alone uh, a GM being brought in who doesn't, who hasn't hired the head coach, who hasn't done this, hasn't done that. You know, they they there's a lot of reason. To, to think that if you're going to bring someone in, you, you have to have the coach, head coach and GM be on the same page. And you can't do, you can't do the lame duck thing. It's, it was different. It, it wasn't a good idea with Pagano. It wasn't a good idea to have Pagano here as, as sort of a lame duck when Ballard hadn't hired him. But it's easier to do that because you can get rid of the coach and then the GM can make the hire. Unless you have a super powerful head coach, which they, 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 could, you know, they could go after Harbaugh, they could go after whoever these guys are, and they could say, well, we'll give Ballard a year, and then I might want to bring in my own guy. Those guys, it's different. If it's not somebody like that, if it's somebody who's a coordinator or hasn't been a head coach before, somebody that, that isn't one of the big names, how, how, how can you give them a real chance if the first year there, especially in the coaching world where your, your leash is much shorter than it is in the GM world, how can you give them a real chance if they don't have a connection with the GM? Like, it, he, if he's here... He has to be here for the next head coach. And the bigger concern to me, beyond even Ballard's perspective, that coach's perspective, is the rookie quarterback they're going to draft. You have to have stability and structure in your leadership for that. A lot of the guys that have busted have been in these situations like that, where there's arranged marriages, or you fire a GM, or you, you know, you hear stories about, you know, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, the number of coordinators they went through, head coaches they went through. It's just not – it's not going to give yourself a good chance. And, again, they're not picking number one. They're not going to have this Joe Burrow type who ascends this dysfunction. Likely, they're going to have maybe the third or so quarterback taken, which means you have to make it work. You have to build uh, the infrastructure. It's going to be an uphill battle even if they get all that right because there's a lot on this roster that has to get fixed. They dumped a lot of money in an offensive line that's not performed the way that they need it to to – uh, and then they have re- receiver questions and all that. But you're really giving yourself almost no chance if you get in a situation, like you said, where you hire a coach, then it doesn't work with the GM. So you move on from the GM because you're tied to the coach. Now you got to go find a GM to work with that coach who also likes that quarterback that the previous GM already drafted. That's where this gets really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. messy. Really hairy. That's so, why. That's why if he's here, he's going to be here. He has to be here for a while. And you have to let, which means you have, like you said, you have to let him hire his type of guy. Now, you know, you, you try and theorize on who that might be. I put, you know, I put some candidate lists together that would look at guys I think Chris Ballard would be interested in. We're thinking a guy like Steve Wilkes was a guy that's always come to mind for me. He may just stay in Carolina, so he may not be an option. But you know, Ballard really is. You know, has an eye for defense. Um, I think there's a fit there with guys that are a little bit more clearly Jim Irsay wants a little bit more of a fiery coach so maybe there's some kind of balance between those things but it's got to be Chris Ballard's guy at the end of the day 
I think Ballard's eventually – I think Ballard's ultimately, if he's here, is going to go for the offensive coach regardless of what his – just because the last time he had a chance to do this, he tried to hire Josh McDaniels, offensive guy, and then hired Frank Reich, offensive guy. Mm-hmm. And that was with a better quarterback. I think Ballard is smart enough to understand that if if they're going to have a quarterback, they have to have – they have to have – the head coach be on the offensive side of the ball because I think the other thing that Ballard believes is that talent on defense the the, the right coordinator if he's allowed to to do his own thing can be successful and I think we've seen that here you know um, that even even coordinators that that didn't have a big reputation before Matt Eberflus didn't have had never been a coordinator before this and was fairly successful here successful enough to go to Chicago and become a head coach so I think I think Ballard would go for an offensive mind. Now the style of offense, like what he wants to run, everything we've always said, everything he's always said is he doesn't want it to be about the quarterback. So I think you're probably looking at something like that. But yeah, that's the head coach. They're going to have to. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think part of that too is Ballard really has confidence in building the defense, so he wants to give a little bit more autonomy to a coach to design the offense. That marriage worked with Frank Reich for a while until. You know, the, just the constant turnover at quarterback didn't give them ultimate answers. But what's interesting there is, like you said, though, it's got to be – these guys have to be aligned in their team-building philosophies. And Chris Ballard's are pretty defined at this point. He loves to build through the trenches on offense. That means offensive line. Likes to build, you know, a pretty pretty run-centric team or, or at least a team that runs quite a bit. And then he's not – so far has not been a guy that's going to go out and – and sign a lot of free agents and is not going to be aggressive in that way is a little bit more of a long-term patient guy so does your coach align with that and what's tough on offense is the type of or what's I think a little tricky about it is the type of coach that should be attracted here is a guy who wants to come in with a rookie quarterback and build him from the ground up and that guy's got to be okay with this philosophy of building through offensive line and not being aggressive in free agency, it can work. And, in fact, I think it, that philosophy worked pretty well with Reich and Ballard for a long time until, um, until obviously, it didn't by the end. If, Which if, they never didn't get along, by the way. It's just it, the results didn't end up being there and they if, moved on. If, if they're going to go forward with Ballard, I think that the, 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 simple, the simple way to break down what he needs to do better is he needs to be more aggressive. Um, he needs to be more aggressive at the positions that matter most. He needs to be more aggressive in the draft. He needs to be more dra- aggressive in free agency. Um, like he, he might not have to be super aggressive in terms of trading up this year because of the, the draft pick they're going to have, but he needs to be more aggressive about filling holes. He, he can't. He's been in his worst chance. His worst. His worst thing so far has been when he bets on guys who had good seasons here or better seasons than people expected and expect it to continue to go that way, and then it doesn't. Matt Pryor is an example of that, but going back to before you were here, Pierre Desir is an example of that. Um, the Clayton Gethers, there's been a lot of guys who they brought back and put in big roles without much backup behind them, and then it hasn't gone well for them. Uh, they haven't played as well as they had in the past. And so I think it, I don't think you do, I don't think it's a situation where you don't bring those guys back or don't give a guy like a Danny Pinter or a Matt Pryor a chance, but do more than just have those guys. Be more aggressive. Go for more depth. Um, be more aggressive in free agency. Uh, be more aggressive with the cap. 
that that's that's where he's got to be better. He he's he's a pretty good scout. He's a pretty good scout, pretty good drafter. He's got to be more aggressive about like he's as for somebody who said the depth has always mattered. He's got to do more to have proven depth. Um, and I think that that's that you can see that in in places like San Francisco and Philadelphia, that places that have teams that are built the way he wants to build a team and are successful at it. The, if you look at their depth charts, the the number of proven guys you've heard of beyond the guys they've drafted is much more than it is here. And I think you also be more aggressive at the skill positions, the pass catcher positions. It just hasn't it hasn't taken that approach. They've been so much about the offensive line, the blocking, and they've just that hasn't really been there. And so he's tried to take the his his approach at wide receiver has essentially been the Ted Thompson approach. Use second round picks and hope and and expect them to develop. And Pittman, when you have an Aaron Rodgers or an Andrew Luck and Pittman's Pittman's work. a starter. Pierce looks like he might be able to be something. Paris Campbell this year has developed into something, but. Um, but it's taken a long time to get to that point where you feel like you might have something with the receivers. And who knows what happens going forward? Who knows if, if they continue to do that, if Pittman's here, um, his contract is getting closer. And Campbell. Uh, you know, Campbell is going into a contract year. Like, you're going to need to take more chances there. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and especially because, again, you're bringing in a rookie quarterback. You need to be able to lift that kid up. You can't have him – playing with the scrap heap or or just rookies and expect that like someone has to lift somebody up and so I know multiple times we've talked about San Francisco and in in the Eagles about being what the type of teams Chris Ballard wants to build one of the big differences of those teams is they are aggressive at the skill positions like the the 49ers drafted Debo Samuel locked him up to a major contract they built George Kittle into a monster. They drafted Brandon Ayuk in the first round. Like they've Ballard would that. probably say that on all three of those examples that they're the same type of draft picks he made, and they just re-signed afterwards. We'll see if he gives Michael Pittman the type of contract that but he the wants. Niners, so. But the Niners, the Niners did go out and get Christian McCaffrey in a trade. Um, the Eagles obviously went out and got A.J. Brown. Like they, They're willing to do more than just the draft picks. Yeah. Just and to sort of buttress your point. Right, right. And some of that is spending the money for the big contract. And that's what getting out Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown both got those monster deals. That's what kept this kept that kept those teams as great situations for quarterbacks. Chris Ballard so far hasn't handed that out. And it's it's hard to read the Michael Pittman situation because it's hard to put a value on anybody in this offense right now. I I just that's I expect the thing is Pittman probably shouldn't probably Pittman probably shouldn't get an AJ Brown Debo Samuel deal at this point. Probably not. But also, if you try and pay him as just a 900-ish yard receiver, I don't think he's going to go for that either. Well, that's the thing is he's not going to sign it, but I would have reservations. He hasn't been as explosive yet, and and part of that might be the quarterback. Part of that might be all of the uncertainty on offense, but he just doesn't – he's got the volume. He doesn't have the difference-making seasons that those other guys have had. Yeah. And so the situation they'll get in that's happening around the league is if you choose to not be the team that pays that kind of guy, he's going to go somewhere else and find it. Right, and maybe you're trading him. Maybe you trade him. But what it means is someone else has got to come in here. Because, like, if if we get to a point possibly next year where Pittman and and Campbell are gone, or at least that would happen the following year, what else is coming through there? Like I said, Alec Pierce has had moments. Um, another one that's hard to read, but he looks like he can be, you know, he's a starter. But, but like, you need – this is a – to actually build the model of what San Francisco and, and Philadelphia have, 
they got to come a long way from that. So do you go out in free agency and find a guy? Do you make the aggressive trade to find your A.J. Brown or even like a Chase Claypool could be something that could get this move. And this, these are just moves that Ballard will need to show because he just – he frankly hasn't done that. He came in, inherited T.Y. Hilton, kept him for a while, you know, has spent some second-round picks that have been, you know, fairly good, hasn't handed out a big contract yet, hasn't – He hasn't had a big those. contract to head out, hand out in-house. That's the hard part is with the wide receivers, because they've been so bad at, at finding them until the last couple of years, he hasn't had a chance to re-sign somebody like a Debo um, or something like that that they developed in-house. We haven't seen that from him because he hasn't, he hasn't had it. T.Y. was on the end of his career. No, they didn't even have another option until Michael Pittman came along, essentially, to do that with. So that's that's the hard part there is we don't we don't know that. If if you're going to be more aggressive and go out and get some of the big name guys, then then some of these Pittmans or Campbells or stuff, they're gone anyway. Because they'd be taking over like the people you're going talking about going out and getting, they're replacing those guys. Yeah. Which should be completely fine as long as you get to that point. But I think what we're seeing more and more in the NFL, almost all the contenders either have a superstar quarterback or explosive skill players. And you think about the and teams. Then, and maybe and maybe that means maybe that means you need to move on from those guys. Maybe yeah. maybe you don't give them the big contract, yeah. you go get somebody else. And that can be totally justifiable, but the plan just it's gotta be different than what it's been though, of draft and develop. That that's not gonna answer all those questions because their first round pick needs to go to a quarterback. So how do you go find players even in the realm of, you know, an AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, you know, George Kittle, Debo Samuel if that's the kind of model you want to chase where life's easy on the quarterback, that's what you got to have. Or they have to hit so much on the quarterback that, that maybe that's the difference. But the problem is that kid's still a rookie. And even if you have, like Andrew, Andrew Luck, when they drafted him here, you know, they had receivers. They had Reggie Wayne and T.Y. Hilton. Well, T.Y. came in that draft class. But the point is – So you're out on the, on the current weapons, the young weapons? Get rid of them? I, I don't think I'm out on them. I just – I you could absolutely – Potentially, maybe they're all back. It's. I think it's going to be one of the more interesting well, if they things, don't, though. Because the, the hard part there is if, like, with with those guys, they were they were picked roughly in the same range as where the Colts people were picked. Um, like I said, what, from, this is what Ballard would say. I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking from what Ballard would say is we drafted these guys. Jelani Woods looks like there's something there. Looks like there's something with Alec Pierce. We believe in Michael Pittman maybe more than anybody else does. We give them the deal. Whereas... If you're saying they don't have those guys, then it's just get rid of them. Uh, so for a guy like Paris Campbell, I think what's most likely for him is to sign a one-year deal because I don't think this contract year – it's been great in terms of him being on the field. Um, that was step number one, and he's he's been there. I don't think this has been the year for to assess what his actual – value as a football player is what he can be yeah a one-year deal is a one-year deal is best for him so I think it's one of those you could you could just kind of take it slowly but at some point you're going to have to either decide to give Michael Pittman that contract make him that guy that the rookie quarterback is going to live in and die with or move on and be very aggressive about finding the other one whether that's a trade usually those guys don't just get to straight up free agency but possibly or or maybe a year from now you're you know, you're doing some kind of trade for, you know, trade up for Jamison Williams or Chris Olave. We're seeing trades up for receivers now, too, because this this trend has gone around the league. Um, personally, I mean, I, I think Michael Pittman can be that guy if he's ever given one quarterback to play with and consistently build with. The problem is I think he's going to start asking for that contract this offseason, and it's it's just hard to put a number on. 
Yeah, I, it'd be tough for me to give him the kind of money that those other guys got. He just hasn't. He hasn't had the, the season that those guys those guys had. Yeah, and maybe there's something just a little under that that's a compromise. But I think if you fall too far down and you say, "Well, your numbers are just sort of a so-so number two, he's going to say, "Well, then I'm going to." F- he can say, "Well, I'll just go find another offense somewhere else where I don't look like that because it's not." He's on his fifth starting quarterback, and we're not even near the end of the third season. So that would be the argument from Pittman's camp: is like this environment isn't set up for someone to be more than what he's been, which is this is a possibly a second straight thousand yard season, but not to your point, not an explosive Pro Bowl star type receiver season. Um that's that's kind of where the Colts are. I think it's all on the I mean it, it's pretty much the offseason is going to have to be regardless of who it is, it has to be the offense because the offense has been so remarkably bad. In fact, uh the football outsiders post about DVOA basically said that there are no outlier uh, units in the league, uh, no one who's like remarkably good or remarkably bad, except for the Indianapolis Colts offense. So that's that's where everything that's where pretty much everything has to go. I mean, you you have to make some decisions on guys like Gilmore. Is he still going to be around? Um, that kind of thing on defense. But defensively, there's a good solid foundation if it's Chris Ballard. And I think if it's Chris Ballard, I think you move forward with what you have foundationally player wise on defense because you have so much to fix on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and it's. The thing that's up in the air most on the defensive side of the ball, I think, is the coaching staff. You right, because the coordinator will probably coach. change. Maybe that changed the whole thing. But the thing is, they changed the defensive staff this past year, and defense has stayed good, was good last year, good this year. A little different flavor, I know, but it's I good. know some people want Gus Bradley back, and I understand that because I think he's done a really good job. I think the reality of the situation is what happened with Las Vegas last year. They Gus Bradley did a really good job there last year, too, and they changed head coaches, and Raiders fans wanted him back, and it didn't matter. Like a, a new head coach is going to hire his guy. Yeah, and, and Gus almost certainly. And Gus has earned the right to be choosy with what he's done this year and what he's done throughout his career. And a lot, multiple guys on that staff are Gus Bradley guys at this point. Richard Smith, linebackers coach, Rod Miles, the defense. Yeah, once the coach. coordinator's gone, like there's not position coaches aren't so, staying. And again that. I think they could be fine there. Chris Ballard has shown a good, great track record with defense. They, you know, so long as they get the head coach position right, because he needs to be better at that defensive line. Yeah, like he's 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 they always have front line guys. They need more depth. But this is a huge consideration when you're hiring a coach: is what is the staff going to look like? And some teams have skimped on that and paid for it. I saw it in Detroit where they were all about just the head coach. Matt Patricia was their guy. He didn't want to take any assistance from Bill Belichick's staff, and he didn't know any others. And they went with a lot of guys from the college ranks and um, guys who'd been out of the NFL for 10 years, and it really blew up on them on a talented unit. So that is something to consider with someone like, you know, if Jeff Saturday keeps the job, does the staff want to be back? If they don't want to be back, what connections does he have? What guys can he market this defense for to – hire and, and fill that spot that's going to be a big consideration when and this is why it's got to be Chris Ballard's decision is that he knows all this and this is a huge part of when when he if, I agree he probably will more I think through probably will go for an offensive guy they should if they're drafting quarterback but through that the conversation is about what's the defensive staff going to look like and he's going to have a lot of input on that they can work it out if that's his decision but if this is where it gets another jumbled aspect of it if if it ends up being a nurse day call that's something you could very much see being overlooked. And if it is, you could lose a lot of the progress this defense has made uh, 
not even progress, just how good they've been over the past five years. Um, some of that can start to fall away if you don't pay enough attention to the staff. Well, or if you, you know, make the wrong investments. Look at the Raiders. Raiders switched out yep. Bradley, made some high-profile moves on defense, and they've been bad on defense all season. So The Raiders are a good example. They're sort of the – in a weird way, the opposite of this, because if they had kept their interim coach, Rich Bisaccia, well, but their I interim can, coach took their team to the playoffs. <laughs> that's the, but I'm that's saying the that big thing, they would have kept Bradley. I'm pretty confident in that. Oh yeah, uh, and they would, and then they would have had Richard Smith, like uh, Ron Miles. Those guys loved the job Rich Bisaccia did, but they decided to switch that up, and it obviously it didn't work at all. The Colts lucked out on that aspect, is they that's kind of the one thing that's worked this year is what they've put together on defense. Um, but unfortunately, I. It would be a long shot to see that defensive staff back here, kind of regardless of how this goes. I, that just would surprise me. This is this is where we're going to be for the next uh, several months, uh, or at least for the next m- month, probably with the, with the head coaching searches, talking about this kind of stuff. Um, for the Colts Cover Two podcast, I'm Jolie Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We'll be doing a first impressions pod after the Giants game. Um, as much as as much as it's hard to to draw a lot of conclusions. We'll, we'll continue to do that do, the, do that work on the games. Um, keep looking at Indie Star. We're going to have stories up uh, on this team. Uh, the continu- stuff continues to happen. Uh, keep, your, uh, keep your dial tuned to the Indie Star.